Hey, this is Good Rockin' Tonight, and this is Corey Hart, and I get the distinct pleasure and thrill to interview the man that has interviewed me a number of times, and I'm going to turn the tables on him. Yes, this Friday, Corey Hart gets me to reveal all, and I will be revealing all the number one singles so far in 1992. Plus, you'll be seeing the latest from Guns N' Roses, November Rain, George Michael's Too Funky, and, of course, Corey Hart's Baby When I Call Your Name. See you here this Friday for Canada's first national rock journal, Go Rockin' Tonight. happy to be here with you for our 26th episode celebrating the television show that lasted through the 80s and the 90s good rockin tonight i'm naomi i'm your host and i had the distinct pleasure of chatting with one of the hosts of that show there were two hosts and the one who did the majority of the show and the majority of the 90s was Stu jeffries He'll be joining me in a little bit. I just wanted to tell you guys a little bit more about what's going on with the show. Once again, if you want to subscribe to our premium content, our interviews on video, our podcast release two days early, and all kinds of other goodies, just skip on over to patreon.com slash dope nostalgia and subscribe for a really, really low price. And I also want to thank all the people who've been giving us such great feedback about the show. And some of our uh, past guests as well who are still paying attention to what we're doing. And I really appreciate that. If you enjoy the show, please feel free to um, share it with friends. Let everyone know about it. And hopefully it'll grow and grow as, as we do more and more interviews and have a lot of fun. I'm going to tell you a little bit first about Good Rockin' Tonight before we get into our interview with Stu Jeffries. Wikipedia Moments. Hi, I'm Kathy Dennis, and you're watching Good Rocking Tonight. Yo, this is Nuno Betancourt. And Gary Sherrill from Extreme. Hi, this is David Lee Roth. Don't touch that dial. Stare deep, deep, deeper into your television set. You're starting to feel young and impulsive, aren't you? You're starting to feel wild and carefree. Well, that's right, and it's all night right here tonight. Yours truly, David Lee Roth, getting off on Good Rocking Tonight. Hi, Canada. We're boys to men. And you're watching Good Rockin' Tonight. Good Rockin', yeah. keep rockin' Good rockin', keep on rockin' tonight. <laughs> tonight. And for all of you who requested it, me, <laughs> Stu Jeffries. Sorry about the, <laughs> but it's cheap fanfare, real fanfare costs big bucks. Yes, like bad jokes, meatloaf, and taxes, I return as your new host of Good Rockin' Tonight. Nice hair, and only a little obnoxious. Yes, son of an act that can only be described as extremely desperate. CBC approved my audition for host. That was show number 132, and look at how far we've come. And I want you to have a look at tonight's list of 45 guests. And the date was October 8, 1983, and Terry David Mulligan started the ball rolling on what would become Canada's first national rock journal. Throughout the years, seven to be exact, GRT has come into your homes every Friday night and brought you conversations with and videos by your favorite performers. Weekly countdowns to the top 20 singles and CDs, a look at what's happening across Canada, the U.S., and the U.K., and recently we've expanded to include movie previews. Interviews, I'm telling you, that is the real fun for me, talking to the superstars, and that's what we're all about this evening. 
you can appreciate that our actual guest list far exceeds what you'll see tonight, but hopefully we'll bring back a few fond memories. Good Rockin' Tonight was a Canadian television series which aired on CBC Television from 1983 to 1993. The program, similar to the American Friday Night videos, played popular music videos and also featured interviews with musicians, actors, and viewer contests, and a countdown of the week's most popular singles and albums across Canada. Along with CBC's daily daytime music video program, Video Hits, the programs together represented the only options for Canadian viewers of the mid-1980s to see music video programming outside of cable TV, which was the only place you could get much music. The show premiered on October 8, 1983. The program's original host was Terry David Mulligan, who left to join Much Music in 1985. He was replaced by Stu Jeffries, who hosted for the remainder of the show's run. It was produced at the studios of CBUT in Vancouver, British Columbia. When Jeffries was first hired to host the program, he was simultaneously working as program director of radio station CJME in Regina and flew to Vancouver every Friday to take, tape the program. He later gave up the Regina job and moved to Vancouver. The show generally aired Friday nights at 11.30 p.m. on CBC Television's owned and operated stations, but was delayed to a weekend airing in some of the network's private affiliates. Initially airing for 90 minutes per episode, the show was trimmed to 60 minutes in 1986 due to budget cutbacks at the CBC. The show has a huge place in my heart as a child growing up and getting to see my weekly countdown on the Canadian charts, getting to see interviews with all my favorite artists, and I really admired and looked up to this gentleman. Not only was he the host of Good Rockin' Tonight, but he's a well-respected Canadian radio and television broadcaster. He was also the host of a little-known show back in the 80s called Switchback, which was a big favorite of mine. He's currently the morning host at CHBM-FM, Boom 97.3 in Toronto, Ontario. This is Stu Jeffries. How is your uh, quarantine time going so far? How, how have things been for you and your family? It's been, the family's been great. I mean, we... Um... We have um, uh, three boys. One is uh, just just her. Or one is eighteen. One is sixteen. One is fourteen. Um, and they uh, they get along at the best of times. But um, we were kind of concerned about the um, the confinement and how they would be just being guys. And uh, they've been really good. Our, my eldest just came back from university. We had to get him early because of the uh, the crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was a bit bummed that he couldn't finish out his first year. And so we were, we were sort of wondering how is this going to play out now that he's going to be stuck at home as well too, but it's been great. And uh, my wife is as always uh, lovely for me. It's just been, uh, I am working from home and now so that the studios in the living room and, um, I'm going to go back. We've already sort of finished all the isolation rules and the quarantine rules. So I'm going to go back, um, uh, Monday. Uh, but for the last five weeks, I've been waking up in the morning, going downstairs, grabbing a coffee, and then sitting in my living room and, you know, broadcasting a morning show to Toronto. My uh, life's dream has always been to do a morning show in Canada's, you know, uh, top city. And I never thought that I'd ever be doing one from my living room. It's just so crazy. But um, super fun and super different. Let's leave it at that. Yeah, exactly. De- definitely a different way of living, for sure. For uh, sure. So how long have you been in Toronto now? Um, I came out here in uh, 97 um, uh, from Vancouver uh, and initially went to, uh, to do a morning show in a station in Burlington at Energy uh, 108, it was called. And then that kind of uh, took me to uh, uh, through 
Chorus Entertainment, the company, and mm. um, and various opportunities took me through Hamilton doing mornings, and then coming back to uh, Toronto to do mornings in country in the early two thousands. Then at a, a soft rock station. Um, so I've been kind of all over the place, but at Boom, I've uh, been doing it now. As a matter of fact, it's an anniversary this this week. Uh, Friday will be my ninth year since signing on to do mornings there. So um, Toronto as a whole since '97. Um, and, uh, although that time now, cause you get married and you have kids and it's just flown by, like I, it's like, was, was 97 seems like it should be five years ago and it's not right. It's a long time ago. I understand. I understand. And, and where are you from originally? I was born, uh, in uh, Richmond, BC, just outside of Vancouver. And I was raised in Winnipeg. I, uh, left there to begin my radio career in Yorkton, Saskatchewan in 1979. And since then, I've, I've been back to Winnipeg to visit. Not enough, but um, yeah. I still consider that place my home. Wonderful. So you probably got to see a fair amount of the country over the last few years, I'm sure. For I'm sure, coming, yeah. The first part from was Edmonton. Class, the <laughs> yeah, I know. I've been in Edmonton. I worked there, too. Um, in 1987, I was at K97, um, but very briefly, a year and a half, maybe. And then it was back to Vancouver again. Um, you know, there's been a radio TV uh, uh, or TV mixed into my radio life and radio has always been a love, but uh, TV sort of set it on a different track and uh, found me doing a lot of traveling, particularly in the West. You're right. I mean, I, um, that, yeah, it's a blur. Um, but I remember like, I actually, I had a house in Edmonton and I cannot tell you what the address was, <laughs> what area it was in. Like it's just gone by so fast. Um, there's a bet, but my man, when I think about Edmonton, I, uh, I, I mean, I was there for, um, uh, the Gretzky trade. I did the morning show the day after he was traded to LA and I'll never forget my time there and how that city was so choked. Like it was, yeah. and I was, I was, I, I am, and I was, and still am a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. So, but I understood his greatness, but I could not believe that, that that was a city in mourning. And I thought, wow, yeah. that is a, that's a player that has like a stranglehold on its population. And it's more than just hockey. It was like Gretzky is Edmonton and that's that. And the thing was, is I, I think I was about um, nine or 10 years old at the time when it happened, but I'll never forget how, yeah. how um, emotional it was for everybody. Yeah. And the, the lashing out, I mean, <laughs> I forget what the name of the, uh, the Edmonton Sun News uh, columnist was, but he, <laughs> he's lashing out at Janet. It's her fault. It's like Yoko breaking up the Beatles. Yeah, <laughs> was, oh my God. Oh no, you gotta, you gotta settle down here. It's okay. But and you know, yeah. there's been TV specials about it. There's been so much since that happened where I think we can all look at it now, I hope, as adults and realize what the actual circumstances were. <laughs> That's right. You but know, there's what, still what, people. Yeah. He still likes this. Yeah. Yeah. Still people to this day who blame her and it's just ridiculous. Oh, it's crazy. And that was, a, you know, on that though, I mean, that was so Canadian. I mean, he was in Los Angeles, but he's staying at Alan Fick's place, babysitting <laughs> Robin. Like, I mean, it's so great. While helicopters are flying around all over the place, he must've been, what the hell is going on? Yep. No, it's unreal. Unreal. Was that, I think shortly after that, he hosted Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I think it's in around the same time too, right? The surf where he was, it was the Elvis Presley surfing movie or something like, or Elvis Presley is a hockey player or something like that. It was, was god awful, but really still bad. remains one of my favorite moments. <laughs> the poor guy cannot act, but man, no, he can't. it was hilarious. <laughs> oh, thank you for bringing back those memories. I was like, <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's great. It was great. 
Um, and one thing I, I was doing going, looked at your Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I noticed that wasn't there was switchback. Right. Switchback, uh, that's, no. Yeah, that is, and I'm, I'm not sure about how Wikipedia works. I had someone that was, um, uh, I should say I had someone, uh, somebody was, was uh, on my behalf was updating it. Um, who was a fan. So I thought good, better than a fan to do all that. And I, I, I still found all the information got was wrong. And, you know, I still get people um, wishing me happy birthday, you know, in <laughs> September when my birthday's in May. And like, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, uh, but yeah, Switchback was, uh, Switchback was a, a, a branch of the CBC tree that I did not see coming at all. Well, mind you, I, I didn't see the Good Rock and Side branch coming either. But um, while doing that show, they um, had uh, replaced their host or were looking to replace their host and asked if I would do a show. And, um, you know, the thing about that time that I remember so well now is that I was really just young and stupid and just young and stupid enough to not be nervous about anything. Right. You know, I mean, it was sort of like everything was, uh, uh, everything was an adventure and I was all in and I never took any time to sort of think about the magnitude of what you're doing. You're, you know, I only hear it now. People say, I watched that show when I was a kid. I never missed an episode. And like, you were there every Sunday morning and it was so fun to see it. And I, and I knew I was doing it, but I had no idea, you know, what effect it was having on people. And the same thing with Good Rock. And people say, I grew up with that. Uh, it was Friday night for me. And if I was going out, I would tape it and then get home and watch the videos of VHS and oh. enter all the contests and all that stuff. And I'm like, wow. And they say it was such a part of, uh, when they talked to me about it, they say it was such a part of my life and thank you for doing that. And I, I had no concept of that while I was doing it. And so only now when it comes back, it makes the memories that much better of that. No, and that's understandable too. At the time, I don't think you realized the effect it had on Canadian pop culture as a whole. Right, um, which is when people put me into that category, I'm like, wow, like, thank you. I, it was a video show and a kid's show. Uh, to me, um, but when they talk about how and what it meant, it was sort of like, wow, well, okay, then. I mean, I'm not actually up there in Mr. Dress Up category, but <laughs> oh. I'm in, you know, I'm there. But I'm that's, there, some, so that's there. some serious CBC legacy, though, because yeah. when you think about it, <laughs> yeah. there's two yeah. things I, I remember for, for music video shows. It was uh, video hits. Of mm -hmm. course, of course, there was the before Dan Gallagher and the after Dan Gallagher. Right. And Good there Rock was, Night. Uh, yeah, Sam Taylor. I remember Sam... Um, I have a picture. I should have. I should have grabbed it for you. I've completely forgot. I have a picture of Sam and I when we were out at. C I was out at CBC Toronto. Um, we were doing a uh, just publicity photos, and it was her wearing her video hit sweatshirt, and me wearing my Good Rock and Tonight sweatshirt. We've got our arms around each other. <laughs> the, the product, <laughs> like the hair. <laughs> it's just, oh my God! Can you get any more product in there? Uh, and you know the makeup and the whole bit was just so over the top. But it's one of my favorite pictures. Those that that was a. A snapshot in time for sure. You had incredible hair. Oh man, I had, as one person, uh, I coached uh, my boys hockey, uh, and uh, there was a, a guy that was uh, coaching with me um, <laughs> who said, uh, I was telling you, explaining to his son the show that I did. And, and uh, he, the son kept staring at my head and he goes, yeah, he had more hair back then. He said, he had national hair. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's it. I like that one, man. Thank you. Oh, that's amazing. I must make a quick addendum here to add that going back to look at Stu's Wikipedia, yes, Switchback is on there. My bad. All right, let's continue. With Switchback, what I remember is that um, I remember there was two hosts, and I think it was based out of Calgary, the, the episodes that we would see here. Um, right. 
Keith and Ian were their names. Right. Um, and it blows my mind that I can even remember that. But was it, what was the deal with that? Was Switchback different hosts in different cities or? It was, it was initially, if I'm not mistaken, it was a uh, different host in each of the capital cities across the country. Um, but then uh, cutbacks and a streamlining or whatever they called it, um, they sort of grouped them together. So Winnipeg might take, the one in Winnipeg might've been taken care of or taking care of all the Eastern provinces east of Winnipeg. Uh, and then uh, for me, um, suddenly switchback wasn't just Vancouver anymore. It was all of uh, uh, BC and all of Alberta. And so, and then at that point it was there for another, I guess, four seasons, four or five seasons or so before it finally, uh, before it finally wrapped up. Okay, great. I, I just, I remember, I don't even really remember the premise of the show that much. I remember, I think they had music videos. Yes, it was a whole lot. And this is the other thing, but being the Good Rockin' host, Good Rockin' was more than willing to give us all the countdown videos and all of that stuff. So we would basically do a rehash of the top 20 videos and albums in the show. It was a mad, at least our show was a mad um, prize giveaway. We had a live audience. And it's so funny that you bring this up because just like, yesterday i remembered a specific show where they had a, a live tiger brought in and the kids were blown away and it was like oh my god it's a tiger and whatever and the tiger was on a leash and the woman that was controlling it seemed to be in perfect control but i remember thinking oh my god if that tiger decided to go tiger could you imagine and i thought yeah. I, but we got away with so much and we they did such it was like um, as a friend of mine said, he said, I used to love tuning it in on Sunday morning just to see the big guy go nuts because that's what it was. It was just for 90 minutes, you're going <laughs> 150 miles an hour and then it comes to a screeching halt. That yeah. was, it was like kids. So you got to keep kids attention. And um, boy, it was pretty, it was pretty wild, pretty effective. Very energetic show. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. Yeah. 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 Hey, all you party animals. This is <laughs> Mick Mars, <laughs> Vince Neil, and Tommy Lee. The Motley Crew. Welcome to the Good Rockin' Tonight. I'm Stu Jeffries with a look back at five years on the air. Now, obviously time doesn't allow us to show you all our guests, but we have about 30 that we know you'll enjoy, as well as the year's best video clips. Little history for you. Good Rockin' began as a local Vancouver show October 7th, 1983 with host Terry David Mulligan. I was working radio in Regina at the time, didn't come on board until about two years later. For the record, Eddie Grant was Terry's first guest and Billy Joel's Tell Her About It, the first video. Now, how did you make the switch over to Good Rockin' Tonight as you were taking over the reins from uh, Terry David Mulligan? That's Terry like David Mulligan, that, yeah. He's, he's a legend. Yes, right? he's a legend, still is. Yeah, um, yeah. he, uh, uh, I don't really know the whole story i know that he when he started it he did it for a year and a half and i think um i think he was either looking for a better deal or a lot no not a better deal sorry just a longer term mm -hmm. uh, because at that time i think the contracts were only six months no, or three months and you were luckily lucky to get a six month um because the show was done in vancouver the mountains acted as a great barrier to the rest of canada particularly toronto i mean toronto was doing toronto things and really you know didn't pay too much mind to what was happening everywhere else. And it's typical Toronto fashion, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, we do our thing here and you know, whatever you're doing over there, I'm sure it's very nice here. Have another three months. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, we kept ratings kept doing, going well. So, uh, so the show continued three months, three months, three months, but I think Molly wanted um, something a little bit longer, I think. Um, and uh, CBC wasn't prepared to offer that, I guess. And I think Molly had just got an offer of much music. So uh, he was, uh, he was fine. And um, then the, 
the call went out um, to uh, to look for a new host, and I I uh, prior to doing this, I remember I was working at a radio station in Regina, and I was doing um, the evening show, and there was a a, a a post on our bulletin board that CBC were looking for a host for a show called The Fame Game, uh, and um, I was looking at it, kind of shaking my head, going, "Okay, well." who's ever going to do that? Good luck to you. And the guy that was doing afternoons at our station, Dave Mitchell, saw me looking at it and he said, are you going to go? And I said, no. And he said, well, I'm going. So if I'm going, you have to go. So I said, okay, fine. Here's the young and stupid kicking in. I don't know what I'm in for. So whatever. So I went to CBC Regina for this audition. They set you up in a quite a small room and the uh, production assistant is sitting there. She's got a stopwatch and she says, all we want you to do is look right down the camera lens and talk for five minutes without stopping. Um, you don't, you can't, if you use as few ums and ahs as you possibly can, but we want to see how you, you know, how you go. Um, so I said, sure. Uh, and then they rolled camera. And I, I started talking about the only thing I knew, which was radio and how I got into radio and da, 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 da. And then I was just wrapping up and I said, and I guess that's about it. And she hit the stopwatch and she said four minutes and 57 seconds. So I went, wow, that's cool. And I didn't give it another thought. Uh, and then three days later, I got the call from the producer of the show saying, you're the guy, we want you to host the fame game. And it was a battle of the bands. Each capital city uh, across Canada submitted bands from their province. They would duke it out and then everybody would go to the national final. So I hosted the Regina edition. Um, boy, and you want to talk about hair then? Oh my God, I still have the VHS <laughs> tape and it is like, it's <laughs> about hair, man. It's um, awesome. Yeah, and then uh, uh, because of that, the producer at uh, Good Rock and Ken Gibson in Vancouver had uh, a copy of that, saw me, and uh, said, would you like to come down for an audition to, uh, for the show? So I did, and I thought it was just an audition, but it was an actual show uh, that we were doing. So I was a little like, okay, so this is, and I didn't realize that until after we were finished. I said, so this show, this is like going on the air, like next Friday? And he goes, yeah. So I thought, this is it. I got to phone everybody, tell everybody I'm going to be on national TV for the first and only time in my life. You cannot miss this. Uh, and then the show aired and we got letters like crazy saying, hey, that's a, that's a good dude. Keep him. And um, after a couple of months, I guess, of auditioning others and deciding, oh, uh, David Foster hosted a show. Uh, Bruce mm -hmm. Allen hosted a show. Platinum Blonde hosted an entire show. Loverboy. Um, and I thought, okay, well, I'm up against this competition. Forget it. These guys will get the gig. I'm out. Um, and then Ken called me and said, uh, it was Halloween. I'll never forget it. Um, I just handing out kidney, uh, candy to <laughs> kidneys to kids. I'm handing out candy to kids, uh, at the door phone rings. And he says, uh, note the time and the date. He said, you got the gig. And, uh, I, the kid that was at my door, I'll never forget it. He had his sack open. I took the whole bowl of candy, dumped it in his pillowcase, went, see you later. I'm going out to celebrate. Wow. Um, yeah. And then, uh, that was it. But I had the same thing as Molly. Um, you know, three months, three months, three months. And I loved radio and I could not crack the Vancouver market to save my life. And in looking back at it now, it's because I wasn't good enough, but I, I didn't know that then. And um, I wanted a little more security and um, they couldn't offer it. And then suddenly though, things started going really well for the show. And uh, then it was three months became six months. And then we got started getting year deals. And, um, and then we knew we were in, in for something. So, Molly for us for a year and a half and me for eight and a half years. So that's a pretty long run for CBC and a variety show. I don't think they've had one that's run that long since then. So we're pretty proud, pretty proud of that. That's an incredible run. Um, yeah. Actually. Yeah. I had no idea it was, it was that long. I specifically remember I was watching the show around 1990 to like 1992. Right. Right in there. Um, religiously. That was my Friday night. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you. We got into uh we got into some really cool stuff too. We started going on movie junkets 
Um, and we are, it was great because we were just a presenter. We would, we would say, here is the new Tom Cruise movie. We didn't, we didn't critique it. We just said, here it is. Talk to Tom about it. Talk to any of the co-stars about it or whatever. So you always got great interviews because they knew you weren't like, I was, I'm not judging. I'm just saying, Hey, tell me about your role. Bro. So, um, and those went over really well. That was a whole new avenue for me in terms of trying to work on my interview skills and realizing that there are people, um, you know, that have a whole lot of power and a whole lot of people are hanging on to their every word for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And that there was a different kind of respect that you had to hand out um, back then, even though in some cases you'd be talking to people who didn't deserve it. There was a, you know, a certain, there was, it was almost like a royalty. You felt like, okay, you're just TV. These people are big screen. So know your role, you know, do your mm -hmm. gig. Uh, and although some were magnificent, uh, there were others that, you know, could be, quite unkind and quite um and uh, definitely a test to your metal yeah no and i think that's one thing that i was thinking today was like wow this i'm going to be for the first time interviewing an interviewer <laughs> so <laughs> so i was really nervous about that as i'm oh, very God, green at this i hope you're not and you're doing great i you know what <laughs> i i found somebody asked me about what was the what was the thing that you know, that you would offer in terms of advice for interviewers. And first of all, the fact that they come to me for advice blows me away. One, two. Um, yeah, I did a lot, but I, my early ones, I wasn't good at. It took me a while to figure out how to do it. And my style, um, if you can call it that, was, and this is, you've heard this too. I know you have. People say the best part about an interview, the most important thing is to listen. And it sounds simple, but a lot of people will go in with 10 questions and they're going to ask those 10 questions come hell or high water. And maybe I'm answering question one and I'm leading you down a path that might be more interesting than your question two, but you're not listening. You're going to go to question two right away. Right. So you miss what is being said. It's like you cut um, off an opportunity. Yeah, for sure. And mine has always been conversation. It's got, if it's not a conversation, it's no fun. And, um, you know, and, and you're, you're, you can be the best, interviewer in the entire nation but if you have a tough guest and it doesn't become a conversation it doesn't matter how good you are you're not getting anything you know and mm -hmm. what you will get is i mean i remember i don't know how many hundreds of people i interviewed i can remember on one hand the five that i was so mad at and so hurt and so you know because it didn't go well because they were jerks or i wasn't prepared or whatever um and, and i truth be told i never liked doing it i i um I was always ready, but I never liked doing it. I, I found, um, uh, I don't know, it got to a point where so many bands were coming out so fast and so quick and you knew that some were going to be around and others weren't and it kind of hurt your feelings to know that, look, guy, you, like you really want to say this is a great album, but you know, what are you going to do after this? And you felt bad for them. Sometimes, you know, the stories that they would tell would be not upsetting, but just kind of, I, I know too much. I don't think I want to know this about, this is my favorite band. I don't think I want to know this about you. You know what I mean? Mm. So, um, so lots of that. Uh, it made me sort of, um, whenever somebody said, here's our interview schedule for this week, I'd be, oh, okay, all right, here we go. Um, but through that though, I made some incredible friends still today um, that we talk and uh, follow each other and, um, and, you know, send hellos out to Corey Hart used to phone me on my birthday uh, every year. Um, we still in touch. The guy is, by the way, the guy is quarantining in the Bahamas or something right now. Okay. So he's got oh, like how terrible for him. <laughs> I know. He's got a couple of places, I think. And he I just got a note uh, from him by our program director <laughs> and said he's taking it easy. And, you know, yeah, I'm sure you'll be fine, buddy. 
Oh, oh, that's great. I was going to say kind of segues into um, when you did interviews, did you write the questions yourself? Did the CBC tell you what you could and couldn't say, or did you have to- Oh yeah, to a, to a point, but I, and, and always within reason. Um, and yeah, most of them were mine. Um, our producer had a real knack for, uh, um, what, what his, Ken's big thing was, if we were sitting, uh, sitting down to do a, 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 or preparing to do a big interview, uh, like uh, Duran Duran when they were, when they just uh, hit in 1984, I was flying out to Toronto to interview him. It was actually my first interview, first big interview. And they combined a photo shoot with it. So with everybody standing around, I'm waiting in the hotel room for Duran Duran to come in and they want to take publicity shots with like everybody standing around and I'm so self-conscious and they're snapping away and you got to smile more, relax more. And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking, I got to do this interview. It's more important than this. And they're making postcards out of it, right? Whatever. Um, so all of that is happening. But before we went out, Ken and I were on the phone probably for, you know, a good hour, hour and a half throwing out questions. And uh, I would come up with a question and he'd go, no, you know, that's pretty typical. Let's go. Why don't we go this angle here? What I want to try and do is ask the stuff that nobody else is asking or try and find stuff that nobody else is asking. Mm-hmm. Um, so it became a battle between him and I because I kind of knew you know, he wasn't sitting there. I was sitting there. So, and there were questions I wasn't comfortable asking. I don't want to talk about girlfriends. Like, I don't want to know yeah. who you're dating. That's not my thing. Right. But he says you, but you are broadcasting this show out to however many hundreds of thousands of people every week that want to know if they have a girlfriend. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. But I don't want to be the guy to ask that. Mm. So it's like, we would go back and forth on that. Um, uh, but he was, Oh God, he was so unbelievably helpful. We flew out to, um, Please, anytime interrupt. I, I, I get memories and I just go down memory That's road. That's <laughs> exactly what I'm here for. Okay. Uh, I, we were going to the UK to do a week's worth of interviews with Brits and um, Phil Collins was one of them. And on the plane, uh, on the way out, uh, he was sitting behind me and uh, he, I was looking at the schedule. And I'm looking at who we're interviewing and some names I didn't even recognize. And then other names I see Phil there. That's great. And he taps my shoulder and he hands me three sheets, full scap sheets of questions for Phil Collins. And some of them were just brilliant. And he maybe worked on it for 10 minutes. Like he had a real knack. And I remember sitting there talking to Phil and I would skip over a couple of the questions that he had. I wasn't quite there yet. And then come back to them later and stuff. And at the end of the interview, Phil said, that was really enjoyable. Thank you so much. And he said, it was like, I was talking to, uh, it was like we were having just a little conversation and I was out on the street at a place called Shepherd's Bush. And um, I felt like, you know, uh, I felt like a king and I remember, you know, you know, driving back to driving to our next interview and thanking him for, you know, making me look good. He, there were so many ways that I could have really messed up on that show and he always made sure I looked the best I could. So and sounded the best I could. I'm forever indebted to him. And by the way, we, he had a, he turned 80, I think, or maybe more, um, a few years ago and invited the, uh, the crew back to his place. He's got a lovely place in uh, West Bank or, um, um, uh, point great in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, and I, he had parties before, but I couldn't make it. I could never figure out the time. This time I made it. He didn't know I was coming. I came downstairs and, and it was great to see him. We're hugs and he's crying. He says, I can't believe you made it. And then of course, who walks in like, you know, five minutes later, Mulligan, because he's got to make an entrance. He knew I was coming. He knew I was coming, but it's sort of like, damn it, man, I'm going to be the last one in there. So it's like, yeah. Right, right. So it was, it was, it was really cool. But he, God, he helped me so much. And then through him, um, I became better. And then I realized that, yes, you can ask questions that are kind of uncomfortable, but give it your style. Don't go with somebody else's if, mm. you know, uh, and, and that was one of the things I learned from Ken and never 
ever, if you can avoid it, um, you know, ask a yes or no question. Make sure that there's, ah. yeah, make sure that they can't answer yes or no when you're going to the next one because you've probably been down that road too. You ask a question, they give you a one word answer, like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I got nothing else. And then Let's you feel stuck. <laughs> you feel stuck. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one thing it's like, I, I, I appreciate the fact that you can find questions that that make the artists go, wow, I never thought about that before. Thank you for asking. Because yeah. I'm so, I, I worry that they get so tired of hearing the same thing over and over. And even in yeah. this format where I'm talking to them about things that happened 20, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. There's still- Now it's not so hard to do that. Yeah. More yeah. reminiscing quality to it. Yeah, for sure. It's a nostalgic quality to it. So yeah, and more than, and you find nine times out of 10, I think they'd be more than willing to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But you're right back then, and even now, it's still the same to this day. I mean, I'm sure music guys get asked the same questions. I mean, I remember one band telling me, uh, God, if I get asked what comes first, the lyrics or the music, one more time, I'm going to lose my mind, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, or how the band got their name, which, by the way, I never asked either one of those questions. I used to hate that question. How the band, that's lazy to me, but. You know whatever. what I've been doing? I've been saying to myself, look, if I can find the answer on Wikipedia, I'm not asking it. Bingo. Like if you know it and if you can, then that means everybody knows. And if everybody knows, why would you, why would you bother? Right. And then I, I, it's like, go ahead. When, oh, sorry. Sorry. When, uh, go when you're, when you're watching these events where fans ask questions. Yeah. No, no disrespect to some fans, but it's like, are you seriously asking them that? I know. And you have this one this. moment. Yeah. Yeah. That was another thing that, you know, and I know that interviewers do this all the time. They say, I got some questions from fans and they hold up the paper, right? But there's no questions from fans. These are the questions you don't want to be, you don't want to be the one that said they ask these questions. You can blame it on a fan, right? And then you get all the good, people do that all the time. Uh, really? It, it's like, yeah. A uh, fan wants to know boxers or briefs, you know, and you're like, oh, come on. Really? The worst. The worst. <laughs> Worst, the worst the uh, the the fun though i mean in that for me the uh it didn't happen that often um but the one the times that it did happen i can remember vividly janet jackson i her before it was rhythm nation tour and it's a backstage interview and she by the way i still will never forget how stunning she is like she is she glows janet glows and there's no it's seemingly no makeup or anything she's just she smiles and you're like, oh my God, this in not only the room, but my soul has lit up. Like she is, it's, it's, oh. it is just, it's captivating. Like you're like, you want to say, oh my God, you're stunning. Um, she, uh, I'd asked the crew, I said, uh, how is the tour going and something? And, and um, I was seeing, is there anything that Janet doesn't want to talk about? I don't, I don't want to tread on any, uh, any uh, delicate territory. And they said, no, um, she's pretty happy these days. She just got a horse or something like that as a gift for her birthday. Uh, and I just sort of jotted that down. Um, and then in the interview, I brought it up. I said, uh, and so I understand it is your birthday. Happy birthday. And you're uh, the proud owner now of, a, of a, a new horse. And she looked at me and again with this, the, the eyes and genuine said, how did you know that? And she smiled and then told me the story. But the fact oh. that she did that and, you know, I said, you should, well, your crew told me to be honest with you. <laughs> but I said, I thought it was worth bringing up to see that honesty and that surprise is like it's kind of a dream because you kind of like i just did something and of course we made a promo out of that we didn't hear my question but we heard janet saying how did you know that so it makes me sound like i'm mr i know everything you know um That's cool yeah really you know really good you're a socially conscious artists like you too tracy chapman don't get me wrong i really enjoy the music mm -hmm. but their audience they're 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 already socially conscious so that was difficult for me to say okay how am i going to do this 
in, in such a way as to where I won't turn my audience off mm. by this. Because the kids that I reach, I feel they just want to jump from party to party and have fun, and they don't really want to, you know, listen to what else is going on or any problems. So I said, okay, I'll just go ahead and do the music that I do and just with the with the lyrics that's the way to reach them and at the same time because no one wants to be preached to you know kids they don't want that and I don't want to sound like a preacher you know I'm just doing what I do best and trying to get across to them every every a lot of parents have told me you're, you're a role model so I wanted to take that and turn it into something positive when and also when it's over um, you know you can tell but sometimes people come in to sit down and chat and they're not really wanting to be there and that used to be a real uh, bone of contention for me it's like why if you don't want to do it that's cool tell your record company i don't want to do it fake sick do whatever but don't come in and be miserable and you know and waste the time of everybody here because you don't want to talk if you don't want to talk don't talk i don't care like go i'd rather speak nice of you in your video mm -hmm. than have a memory of you being a jerk because you didn't want to be here um, and there are times when people come in and you can tell they don't want to be there. And for me, the best moments are when the interview's over and they shake your hand and they go, that was really cool. Thanks. And you're like, okay, that's good. You know, you, you, mm. you, you somehow you think you've made a connection and on that, and I'll make this real quick, but it's just every time it's, you cannot be fooled for a moment as an interviewer to think that what you've done is necessarily memorable. Maybe at that moment you made a connection with the star, but for example, um, we, uh, we flew out to Los Angeles to uh, go on the Queen Mary, the ship, to uh, interview Queen, Brian May and Roger Taylor. Mm -hmm. uh, Freddie was sick at the time, and nobody knew the severity of the illness, but uh, he was sick and couldn't make the trip. They were celebrating Queen signing over to Hollywood Records, a new record label. Um, and um, so we're talking with Brian May, and Brian and I had the most amazing, as I remember it anyway, the most amazing conversation. And when it was over, he goes, that was really enjoyable. Thank you so much. This, is, this has been a pleasure. And he was just so, just throwing out all manner of, of props. And uh, so like, great. And I, and I said, well, we'll see you later tonight. And he said, yep. And the, there was a celebration on the Queen Mary that night where they would uh, introduce Brian and Roger, uh, the owner of the Disney guy who owned, the, the guy who owned Disney owned Hollywood Records. He was going to make a speech. And then we were going to be treated to this fabulous um, fireworks display through for the song Bohemian Rhapsody, the entire song with fireworks, and it was spectacular. Mm. But I arrived there, and everybody was there, and then the announcement came, and the guys came out, and I'm standing along the sort of belted rope as they're walking by, and I held up my hand because I see Brian, and I think you know Brian will recognize me. He go, "Hey man, good to see you again." You know, I held up my hand. <laughs> he held me his empty glass and said he'd like a vodka and orange juice, please. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like. Oh, oh. And the, and his publicist, his publicist was standing right beside him. She looked at me and she went, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, thanks. And that to me was a hard lesson because I could feel the blood rush from my face. Like I just could feel just, you know, just that however devastated you can feel in a moment like that. Mm. And I remember thinking, don't ever think for a moment that just because it was a good interview that they're going to remember you half an hour down the line. Do you have any idea how many people these guys talk to in a day, you know what I mean? What's going to make you special, right? So yeah, that was a hard lesson, but fine. That's still one of my favorite stories. <laughs> Thank you, Sobering. <laughs> Very sobering. Yes, and humbling, right? Don't think you're so good there, pal. <laughs> now go get him another drink and shut the hell up. <laughs> Hi, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're watching Good Rockin' Tonight. I'll be back.
Analog Brewing, winner of three awards at the 2020 Alberta Beer Awards, is a proud sponsor of the Dope Nostalgia Podcast. Analog Brewing is now offering delivery within the city of Edmonton with no delivery fee on orders over $40. Go to analogbrewing.ca slash shop. That's www.analogbrewing.ca forward slash shop and place your order today. When placing an order, you could also pay it forward and take part in their Nurse a Pint program and prepay for a pint for a nurse. Mention this podcast in the order comments so they know we sent you. Analog Brewing, taking beer to the next level. Ever watch a movie so bad that it made you laugh? We have, and that's what we enjoy at End of the Reel. We're just two brothers doing a podcast about bad movies. Sometimes the movie will leave you in tears from laughter, other times pain. From classics like The Room, Troll 2, and B-Movie, bad movies are here to stay. Check us out at endoftherreel.com. Hi, I'm Stu Jeffries with an invitation for you to join me this Friday for what's happening in the music world. We'll have an interview and update from Peter Garrett of Australia's Midnight Oil. We'll talk with George Michael's former Wham partner, Andrew Ridgely, and with Canada's own regatta. We'll introduce you to a new group, huge in the UK, The Mission, and we'll have brand new videos from Billy Joel, Taylor Dane, Tom Petty, and Slaughter. If you entered the Crazy People contest, you could be the winner of Dudley Moore's camera. Add to that the top 20 singles, the CDs, the top five, US, UK, who's on tour, and more. And you got this Friday's edition of Good Rockin' Tonight. Dream on, dream away I think I'm gonna have to stay Stay, stay Yo, what's up? We're calling me bad You're checking out Good Rockets tonight Peace This is Jeff Healy Tom Stevens This is Joe Rockman And we are the, the Jeff, Jeff Healy, Healy Band, Band. And for their 400th show, we send congratulations to Good, Good Rockin' Tonight! Hi, this is John Knight from New Kids on the Block. Have you heard the news? There's Good Rockin' Tonight. Throughout GRT's seven years, we've encountered more than one teen heartthrob, from Duran to Debbie Gibson, Tiffany to the new kids. And although we've never had the chance to talk to the lights of George Michael and Michael Jackson, the ones we did speak with had some interesting things to say about the responsibilities of being a role model. CBC, British Columbia. Hi, this is Mick, and you're watching Good Rockin' Tonight. Welcome, you are still talking and writing about it. Our 500 show, 10th anniversary celebration with live performances last week. I'm here to tell you it's part two. The party continues on Good Rockin' Tonight. I'm Brian Adams, and welcome to Good Rockin' Tonight. It is Good Rockin' Tonight. With, you've done hundreds and hundreds of interviews. Was there sure. ever one where you felt intimidated or starstruck by who you were going to speak to? And, and sure. you had trouble getting out? what you wanted to say oh yeah 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 um madonna mm. and it was for a movie junket it was for a body of evidence which was a god awful movie now again <laughs> yeah. oh god it was terrible um but um she was doing promo for it uh and you had the usual five minute junket time and uh, of course as i said we were presenters so i didn't have to say as a matter of fact i could be uh, overly effusive about the movie and say you were amazing right uh, in the hopes of just getting a good, solid five-minute interview. Mm. Um, so as I waited outside for my turn, and it seemed to be forever, I finally got in, sat across from her, and immediately, it didn't occur to me at the moment, uh, who I, I, don't, I don't think I thought who I was going to be talking to. I don't think I gave it enough thought. Because mm. I sat down, 
and you can still see on my camera, the camera shooting me, I am immediately disheveled. Like I'm, I'm sitting down and I can't, I, I'm not comfortable. I've got my, my legs are, are apart. My, my shirt's kind of half untucked and my heart is pounding like, like I've never heard it before. And I think I may have my one and only uh, anxiety attack in the history of me. I don't think I've wow. ever had another one, but I think that's what it was. And, but you know, my, your head's pounding and, and I, and my mouth is dry and I, and, um, and she reaches over and she touches my knee and she says, it's okay. She says, I'll be gentle. This will be fun. And I remember feeling that was probably even the worst thing that could have happened because I felt even more like, you know, what are you doing? Like you are having a full on either starstruck thing or whatever. Uh, you've got to get composure. And I, and we, <laughs> we did talk. I have no idea what we talked about. Uh, and um, I did take my five minutes time, but I, uh, I, I had to, when we got back, I had to watch the tape to see what I asked because I had no idea what I asked. She answered wonderfully, but I, I'll never forget it. One of the staples of GRT over the years is year one, as a matter of fact, 1983 has been the Teddy Award. This little baby right here named after this little guy right here, Mulligan's friend from a few years back. Would you believe that even after all these years, some artists still have not heard of this prestigious trophy? We are a music show. Uh, have been. We're coming up on our 10th anniversary, mm -hmm. as a matter of fact. Every year at year end, we award what we call the Teddy Awards. Mm -hmm. uh, you've been an eight-time winner. And I'm sorry, I, I didn't have? bring a trophy along with me. But a I'm teddy? Right. You mean like a teddy bear? N yeah. It's like or a, a little... teddy is an underwear? No, it's a teddy is an <laughs> Oh, just had to ask. <laughs> so, the lady, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Madonna. It's been a pleasure. Sure. And the only other time, uh, but I knew it was coming, so I was ready for it, was Paul McCartney. He was playing the um, uh, in Montreal, uh, the Flowers in the Dirt tour. And um, I had often said that two of my favorite musicians are Paul McCartney and uh, Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits, and that if I ever got a chance to talk to either of them, and I have had a chance to talk to both, that I would retire. And I remember some journalists did a story on me and said, so why are you still doing this? <laughs> right. I guess I should get the hell out. But, uh, and he was, and this is Ken Gibson again, my producer who was good. We worked in my hotel room for three hours. We had Paul for 15 minutes. Uh, and we worked in my hotel room for at least three hours coming up with questions. I mean, what do you ask a guy that's been asked everything? Right. Yeah. Uh, and this came just after the, like, he, this was maybe a week maybe a little more after that massacre at La Copala Technique, the, the gunman that shot, you know, so the city was, it was just, it was a city in mourning. So it was a very weird, weird time. Mm -hmm. uh, the vibe was just sadness. Uh, and he was aware of that. And I, I felt that he conducted himself in a very respectful, you know, I got to do the show. Um, and, but he was so without even speaking of the incident, you could just tell he was very respectful and it was, it was kind of cool to see. Um, and so we were, so as Ken and I were working on our questions and he, he said, well, obviously, you know, we're going to have to talk about the Beatles. And I'm like, Oh God, I know he's a Beatle and they're the best, greatest band in the entire world. And yes, everybody loves the Beatles, but he's been asked every Beatle question in the world. And so we went back and forth on this. And I asked, my first question was how with a repertoire, your size, do you come up with a set list that you think is going to make everybody happy, including yourself? Because you have 18,000 songs and you have, you know, you're playing for an hour and a half hour, you got to decide. He answered that question, but took me full circle through everything, like through when the Beatles started playing the Cavern Club, doing this, doing that. We were actually plagiarists when we wrote this song, this song and this song. And it was this wonderful two minute circle of Paul McCartney and the Beatles from a guy that's obviously used to answering a question like that. And to me, I was like, man, I wanted to stand up and clap because it was, 
not only did he take care of 11 or 12 of my questions about the Beatles, I didn't have to address it. He did. And it was magic. And he was the only one aside from Mark Knopfler who I asked for a picture. Like now everybody asked for a picture right back then. Nobody really did. Uh, And I asked for a picture and he still have it to this day. It's one of my most, it's so treasured. He's, he's signing some postcards and he's got a, I'm sitting, I'm leaning right next to him and he's blowing. It looks like he looks like he's giving me the finger, but he's holding a pen. And mm-hmm. he's, uh, he's, it's like, man, that's Paul. That's Beetle Paul. Holy crap. So that it one doesn't get bigger. <laughs> no. And when I, and when I look at it to this day, when I look at it, I go, holy shit. Like I actually talked to Paul McCartney. <laughs> that is something, man. I take you back in time to my fondest memory. The whole industry is more of an industry now. It was, it was quite a kind of cute affair when we joined it. it sort of, it wasn't very serious. Mm. It wasn't an awful lot of analysis. It was more just a bit of fun, you know. Yo, hey, rock and roll, hey, let's go for it. Wait, mm. it was that, you know. It's a little more serious now. I think even for the kids coming into it, there's more riding on it for them, you know. Mm-hmm. And people have got a bit more of a knowledge about it now. Uh, you know, there are actual business people connected with it now. There are lawyers and accountants where they never used to be. It's a good thing there are, because mm-hmm. money used to just vanish overnight, you know. So it is a good thing they're around, but it consequently makes it a bit more of a serious place to be. Um, I once said uh, when I first started doing this six years ago that if I had an interview with Paul McCartney, I could retire. I want to thank you for giving me the best years. Is this your retirement? <laughs> this is my Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> now don't retire. Keep on. <laughs> thank you, Paul. You must have so, moments yeah. like that where you just think about all the people you've gotten the chance to have a conversation with and be like, wow, I can't believe so, that happened. So cool you said that because uh, my wife and I just not that long ago uh, set some renovations done around the house and one of the things we did was the playroom downstairs, which we called the war room because it was just so gross. Um, took us like, <laughs> took us like 11 years to get to it. Uh, but we turned it into a spot in uh, where I could hang up a bunch of stuff that I had collected over the years. And once it was all out on the wall and I remember just sort of standing there looking at it going, wow, that is like, that's something. Um, and um, a couple of days later, I had an interview with Tyler from Bare Naked Ladies, just a quick radio drop in. And, and uh, I said, have you, I said, yeah, I said, I just did this a couple of days ago. Have you ever done that where you hung everything up on, you know, and you look at it and you just go, holy shit, we've done that. He goes, yeah, all the time. And he said, I think it's Canadian. It's almost like, cause we, we feel like we don't deserve it, but we got a chance to do it. So because we didn't deserve it and we got a chance to do it, we should be respectful of it all the time. Right. And it's, it's true. And I look at that and go, none of this happens without Ken calling me that Halloween night, you know, mm-hmm. none of it happens without learning how to talk to people and interview people. None of it happens without working on your skills and, um, you know, and, and working hard and, and, um, and being, you know, respectful. Um, and so, you know, to this day, I am so appreciative that people talk about every time somebody talks about those shows, that show, or even a radio show, I am like, I'm humbled. Like, it's just such, it's such a beautiful thing that you make a connection with people you don't even know. And you had an effect on their life somehow. Um, Ryan Reynolds, I just saw a clip of him today uh, talking about he was giving a, a commencement speech to his Kitsilano um, school, former school in Vancouver. Mm. And he said, be an empath. If you do anything with your life, and one thing has worked for my career is that you do something compassionate, do something that has an effect on somebody, however big or small. Um, be 
an empath, be sympathetic, be build somebody up, you know, somebody in the industry, in your own industry, somebody doing the same thing you do, build them up, don't knock them down. He said, it's just the most crazy ambitious thing that you can do. And it's the best thing that you can do. And I'm, you know, I've been trying to live my life that way too. It's just so, um, I'm lucky and, um, you know, um, yeah, I'm lucky. (laughs) Sorry. I got all waxed all philosophical. That, that that made me feel great just hearing that. Like, absolutely. And I mean, there's times where we tend to focus on negative things, and, and oh I mean, man, when you, Naomi, when you put things world, in that perspective. Yeah, in this world, man, it is like now more than ever. Right, we need empathy. Like, we are divided down the middle. Right, when it has mm. never before become so us versus them, and and there and, and us versus them. We've all got something in common, right? We all love each other. We're all, you know, we love our families. We love our, you know, we love our country. We love our whatever. Can we not just figure out a way here to make this work? And everybody, you know, we're not always going to agree, but man, like you look what's going on south of the border right now. It's like, you know, I've never been more proud to be Canadian, but we have the same problems too, right? Like, I mean, we've got to, we've got to be, we've got to be nice. Like we've got to be nice to each other. We've got to, Build, I love that. Just build each other up. We've got to be um, sympathetic to each other. We, it, it, otherwise, it's the end of us. And, and, you know, I think something like this pandemic is teaching people a few things. Mm. Um, you know, judging from some of the stories that we've had, some people are just not learning. But yeah. there are people now that I think are, I've read today that bird watching is catching on because people are staring out their windows now and just realizing maybe for the first time that that's a pretty bird. I wonder what that is. And then starting to get involved in just the simplest things right and those are the things you know that you know connect us we're slowing down and thinking hey maybe i should plant a garden maybe yes. you know like things that yes. are just element elementary and we've just ignored for years and years because things just got too complicated things got too complicated and too materialistic right like we just and in this instant gratification you know back when i was doing the show people wrote letters like you there was no email like you got letters like in the mail <laughs> so i still saved a ton of them and you send a self-addressed like, stamped envelope yes too. exactly that's right vhs or beta like i mean it was, <laughs> it was awesome uh and you know those simple things have gone because of our our um you know our our lust uh for instant gratification and and um you know things just happen so quickly but on the other side of it uh you and i can talk and we were within uh, you know, we're within seconds of hitting a button and connecting from across the country. Right. And, yeah. and get, getting to know each other that way, there's nothing wrong with that. Like I didn't know you existed until, you know, two weeks ago and now here we are. Um, um, you're amazing. So I, you know, and I didn't know you two weeks ago. So I did this. This is good. This is great. We just, we just became friends. <laughs> and then when I reached out to you, I, I know I'd been a Facebook friend for a while because I said, well, it's one of those daily antidotes is seeing one of your posts <laughs> um, you always have you always have something fun or you know silly to say to make your day. So, well, yeah, it's always I always try to be positive, right? I mean, and that Facebook one—that's a cesspool of you know negativity, just oh, like Twitter. Yeah. And so I always try to just put in my own, you know, hey. But even I get weak, you know. I mean, there are things that frustrate me so much that I, you know, I want to post something. I've been I've caught myself before. Sometimes I've deleted tweets and deleted posts just because they're just too angry and. And maybe whether or not it was justified doesn't matter. I'm just contributing to the problem by doing that. And I try and, Mm -hmm. you know, but we're all, we're human, right? We get mad, you know, things annoy us, um, you know. Yeah, I did one of those those venting posts last week. 
earlier right. this week and then I, I instantly regretted it with <laughs> yeah once you get a couple of people commenting that you don't agree with and then it turns into something it shouldn't have been in the first place right? exactly and all you were trying to do was vent and there's nothing wrong with venting but there's like avenues for it and that are better right like yeah. you you to the mirror is way better than you to facebook right because i mean mm. it's like just get it out and how many times you're just posting something for fun and there's that comment down there who are you telling it's pretty mean you're being pretty mean to people <laughs> and you're like no I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, I do this thing on the air and it's not new. Everybody does it. You know, it's Neil Diamond, Sweet Caroline, you, you sing the song. And then when it goes, Sweet Caroline, you yell, bah, 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 in the background. So whenever the song is played, I do that in the background. And again, a million people do it. People love it. They look forward to the song all the time when it happens. Uh, I, got, I got a message by my program director a couple of weeks ago saying I was an anti-Semite. And I'm like, ah. what? How is that? He said, because Neil Diamond is of Jewish faith and I'm singing over his song while he sings. So that makes me an anti-Semite. So I'm like, all righty. Okie dokie. <laughs> yes, I guess that's that's a new one on me. But I would know well, how to respond to that. All right. <laughs> no, I, neither did I. Thankfully, programming did. I wouldn't know what to say. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, well, whatever. I still have VHS tapes that, and I'm not a hoarder, but I, I'm trying to get through these VHS tapes and transfer things onto the mm -hmm. table and get rid of them before they disintegrate into dust. Right. Um, right. But still a lot with, uh, with your show. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. Uh, like the countdowns and such. I just loved all taping all that stuff when I was a kid and some of the interviews and um, from this side of the dial, it looked like you had one of the most fun jobs on television. So how much of the creation of good rock and tonight were you involved in once you were doing it on a regular basis? Like I got to, uh, I got to, uh, write the script. Uh, then it was edited sometimes heavily by Ken and sometimes not. There were times when I was bang on and I used to love it when I get a call from him saying, you've written a fabulous script. This is great. Um, uh, and then, uh, and it be able to inject my own sort of humor or, or style into it. So by writing it, I remember thinking at first, God, I don't, I don't know if I could write a show. Um, I mean, I do a radio show, but I don't really write it. Um, and I don't, I've never done this kind of thing before, but then all of a sudden what it does is it gets you into, first of all, show mode, and then it gets you into research mode. And suddenly you're learning things about artists that you never knew before or certain situations you never heard of before. Um, and so it was great. Uh, but the problem was, uh, writing to time. So we would have, you know, uh, the interview right off the top of the show might only have a 15 second intro. And that's all the time I have to say, Hey, how are you? And here's this band and here's some information. Ken loved it. When every little, it, whenever, whenever I opened my mouth to do another segment that a fresh piece of information would come up. Uh, so that was a challenge. Um, and we would do the top 20 album countdown and each, the album would come into frame and then come out of frame. So you had yeah, maybe a total of, uh, five seconds, maybe six seconds to say in a number 20 dire straits and a bit of information. So yeah. the whole top 20 was like a, a vomit of words. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> I watched, I watched one when I was, cause I'm doing what you're doing, the digitizing them. Right. It's so funny. Oh, we've got a box of them. It's been sitting in the box for a thousand years. We want to digitize them so that we can put those digitized ones into a box for a thousand years and never look <laughs> at it anywhere. Right. But we're whatever. Um, so in doing that, I remember I just watched one where it's like, I did not understand a word of what I was saying because it was going so fast, but that's how, that's how he wanted it. He wanted it just to be jam packed full of information. Uh, and he, um, he was really good at that. So, um, that for, 
that was my input. The rest was all uh, production team and, and uh, Ken would choose the sort of theme of shows and stuff. They let me have um, an anniversary show, the, uh, my, mm. f- whatever, not my 500, the 500s, we had a live, we had a bunch of live bands in and stuff like that. It was really cool when we were signing off. Um, but for my, I forget what the anniversary was, but he let me play my favorite videos. Um, and uh, some of them were kind of obscure. <laughs> I remember coming into the Oh, that's fun. Meeting. Yeah, we would go through the uh, script and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm doing the intro to all these songs that I like. And, and Patsy, our director, who I'm still dear friends with, <laughs> said, these are some of the worst songs I've ever heard. And I'm like, come on, man. It's my favorite. And Ken had to gently say, this is one thing you do have to keep in mind. We'll play some of these, but some are so obscure. And we have fans that are watching this for, you know, they're watching for the mainstream videos, right? We, we cannot not play Platinum Blonde. Platinum Blonde. So you, you, although Dire Straits Skate Away is a fine song and, you know, maybe the video is a little bit dated. Maybe we could push that aside and do this instead. So he's very diplomatic about it. Mm-hmm. But that made me realize that, yeah, you're not just, it's like, you know, me coming over to your place and you playing me all your favorite songs. Well, uh-huh. that's nice. But, you know, I, it's, I, I, might, I might even like a couple of them. I might even get something out of that. But no, if you're entertaining and a stranger comes over, you're not going to make them sit down and, you know, you know, listen to stuff that you say, okay, listen to this and listen to this. It's There's going to be some give and take. There has to be, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, I learned that from him. That was, but their input, for the most part, it was their input. They came up with the themes and, and the... Um, uh, and the uh, video content and the uh, Ken always took ca- care of the countdowns. He was a chart fiend. He loved charts, loved charts and numbers. So he was always on top of that. He would have, uh, and he wrote, he printed immaculately. He had the most amazing printing. And every day in his office, I would walk in to go see the top 10 and I wouldn't look in a trade magazine. I would look on his full scat paper because that was legit. If there was, if there was the chart you wanted to see was legit. I didn't go to billboard or the record. I went to Ken Gibson's office to see what was going on. He was pretty good. Wow. Wow. That reminds me, like back in the day, when Power 92 was the station in Edmonton, um, right. a, a couple of kids um, that I went to school with, my best friends, we did this little show on Sunday mornings called Homeroom Countdown, where they mm-hmm. got where they got local um, kids from around town to come on and do the show and make your own countdown. Five, top five. Nice. nice. I picked the weirdest stuff. Like <laughs> I, my number one was Extreme Stop the World. Which was yeah, off like, their third album, and 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 I remember one of the guys working the show was like, "What is that what? song?" Know, that's right, yeah. And I'm like, "It's really good, you guys. It's really yeah, good. yeah, yeah." He's good. And, and for radio, man, the Kiss of Death is playing something unfamiliar to your format, right? Like it's like as much as you love it, nine thousand people just went click. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Oh yeah, yeah. We 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 got. Uh, after that, I think they pretty much told me what I had to do for a countdown, but it was yeah, really fun. Great. Yeah. Oh, it's so fun. So fun. And you mentioned uh, uh, a while ago about how it looked like I had the most fun job. I did. It was, there were, you know, there were times where I had to give myself, you know, a bit of a shake um, because I'm complaining a lot about the work schedule and, and um, you know, how I always seem to be working. I'm on call 24 seven. And I can't tell you how many times I've been backstage waiting, waiting and waiting for an artist just to come out to speak to us for five minutes. And it's, you know, that gets old really fast. Mm. So, you know, there was a while there I became a complainer. Ken would not hesitate to give me a shot to the back of the head with his hand <laughs> if I ever got to be too much. He gave it to me a couple of times. Not hard, but just to make a note that, you know what, you're doing all right. Uh, this is your job. Quit your bitching and let's get to it. Um, as you can imagine. It. 
yeah, as you can imagine, artists that hear the same questions over and over again, that it, that can be the same with interviewers sometimes, particularly with new artists. You'd have no information on them, so you got to go with a standard set of, you know, questions in the hopes of it's going to lead to a conversation elsewhere. Mm. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, and you're just sitting there going, okie dokie, <laughs> question number two. Some people, some people make it easy for you if they just love to talk. Yeah, for sure. And if they've got, and some people love telling stories. I love telling stories. It's great. And you, you know, and radio is, this is like my 40th, 41st year in radio. There's one thing that that industry has taught me. It's like, people don't have time for a long story. So, you know, get, especially in this day and age, get to the point, you know, and, <laughs> and it's kind of ruined it for me because there are people that would maybe telling me a story. And all I'm thinking is you could have probably edited that a little bit more, <laughs> made it a little more self-contained. I mean, you spent a lot of time trying to make things compact to fit a format. Yeah, um, yeah. And now we're in an age where podcasting has has come and had its had its heyday. I think yeah. now it's just. I think it facilitates a better conversation with people. Agreed, and you can't. Yeah. Format. Well, yeah, you don't have to. We, you and I are talking, and we don't have a time constraint. You know what I mean? Like you, um, you, you're, you're not you know, so you got 15 seconds. Can you tell me this and this, and then I got to go to a commercial break and then I'll be right back and then whatever. Yeah. And isn't that interesting that we've gone from a, um, a format, well, we're still having radio is still all about that. Um, you know, um, music to the hour and time and formats and things like that. But podcasting has branched out and I think become successful. It's third time around, if I'm not mistaken, you know, it came, it went, it came, it went, it is back again, probably bigger than ever. Because I do think people want to hear stories. They want to, you know, they, and they want to, they want information, but and they want maybe a little conversation that's a little bit longer than two minutes and then another song. Maybe it's just like a friend on the way into work. I can listen to a podcast and feel like I've got a car full of people and we're all just oh, chatting. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, I think in a podcast format, you feel like you're more part of the conversation because it's almost like <laughs> you might have something you wanted to add to that almost. You For know? sure. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to be part of that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. And then you find out something, you know, that you didn't know before. And there's nothing wrong with that. Have you ever been in a situation where you had a co-host? Uh, uh, not in uh, not in Good Rockin'. And, uh, uh, well, we would do, every so often we would have an artist come in that would host a show with me for just that particular show. Uh, Corey was there a few times. Mm -hmm. um, and um, Alanis, when she was still Alanis. Ah, um, yes. So she, she was, Alanis um, was magic on that show. She had, there's just something about her that um, was just so, I don't know. Um, I guess, it, it, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I, I I don't think I would have been able to articulate this back at the time, but I did kind of feel that she wasn't doing what she wanted to do. I just mm -hmm. kind of, you know, that, and that, now I'm not saying that I, you know, I knew she was going to come out with Jagged Little Pill. Like, that's not what I'm saying at all. Mm -hmm. But I, I felt that the pop world wasn't exactly, you know, fulfilling for her. And I remember the last time we talked to she co-hosted a show, she played a new video and I can't remember what the song was, but it was definitely a toughed up Alana, Alanis. And I remember thinking, okay, this, something's coming. Like, this is, you know. She's breaking the, out now. She's breaking out for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, from that too hot song to this, it's like, oh, okay, I see. Um, so yeah, we would have co-hosts on that. Um, later in my career, when I was doing country, uh, I was hosting a show on CMT called um, CMT Central. And uh, I co-hosted that show with a couple of people, uh, Alyssa Lansdell um, uh, and uh, Colleen Rushholm, who I, who I co-hosted the, um, uh, the Country Morning Show with, the Country 95.3 in Toronto, still a very dear friend of mine and a super talent. Um, and 
I've, and it's interesting. I've co-hosted with a lot of people on radio, uh, and it's uh, it's each experience has been different in its own way, and it's uh, and not for a moment comparing me uh, comparing that situation to you know a superstar band like the Beatles. But here's what I get about the Beatles, um, and why it didn't last long, and why they seem to not get along. It's a creative process, and you're closed off in a room, and you're coming up with music. And you don't know it at the time, but this music is changing the world and mm. you're becoming famous and everybody wants a piece of you and it's hard. And suddenly all you have is each other. And then you look at each other and then it kind of, all of a sudden it's like, you know what? I've never really been fond of the way you do that. And before you know it, fighting starts. Or how come I never get my songs on the album? It's always Lennon McCartney. You know, how about George Harrison saying, can I get a couple on there? Or Ringo saying, I got a good idea or whatever. Yeah. But it got to the point where it was just, yeah. But out of that yeah, came some of the most amazing music ever. And in co-hosting in radio or in television, I do believe there's an element of sameness to that in that you're got a, a closed door in a studio and for four hours, we got to be creative, play some music and come up with some stuff. And there's going to be days where we're not going to like each other, when we're sick of each other, when we notice the habits of each other are getting on our nerves. But out of that is going to come some great creativity. The hard part is when it's all over, and you realize you got to go do it again. And the person that you're working with is not exactly, you know, although they've got all manner of talent, not exactly what you need in that studio. And we got to do it all again the next day. And it can be super exhausting mm -hmm. when you work with somebody that is, that gets it uh, or gets you it more like it. Um, and you get them, uh, then it's, boy, it's, it's pretty good. And Colleen and I have had, uh, she would say, thousands of gut laughs before we ever even turned on the microphone it was just crazy crazy good and we came from different backgrounds that that were almost the same in a lot of ways so we brought a lot of the same things to the table and understood each other when we had one of those days or whatever uh it's like uh you know it's a relationship and uh relationships take work and there's going to be a lot of you know push and pull in a relationship but um if you can sort of balance that out uh, and you end up working with somebody that you know, you would say, yeah, in a minute, I would work with you again. Then you've, you know, then you got something. All right. Any chance of you getting back on the talk show circuit or something? I look at it like this. It's like Jim Brown going back and playing football again. I did it and I think I did it well. I was a success when people thought I couldn't do it. To touch it now would kind of be dumb, I think. Who is your broadcasting hero? Who did you learn the most from? <clears throat> there are names that... Uh... Uh, wouldn't mean anything to you, but if you if you grew up in Winnipeg around the same time that I did, um, uh, there was a guy named Casey Fox that did a drive show in uh, Winnipeg on my favorite station, CFRW. It's an AM station. Uh, this, so this is mid-70s. I knew I wanted to do radio when I was a kid. I was really lucky. Like when I was seven or eight, I was fascinated with the radio and convinced that... Um, and, and wondered how they get all those bands in the studio. The band would play a song and then what, another band would come in and they'd set up and they'd play the next song. I had no idea about records or anything like that. I thought it was just all live studio performances. Mm -hmm. um, and being fascinated by that announcer, I can still see this transistor radio on the top of our bread box in our kitchen in our Winnipeg apartment. We're gathered around the table eating a kids <clears throat> and my mom's getting coffee ready or whatever. And this voice is coming out and, and it's, I remember being like mesmerized by this. I don't even know this guy. And he's sitting at our kitchen table almost like this is so bizarre. And I thought, what a great gig. And I never thought for a moment that that would, I could, I could do that because I thought it was for special people. Like I thought you needed a special skill. You needed a special voice or whatever. And I thought, no, there's no way, but I loved it. 
So I'd make my own charts, you know, and I'd, I'd pretend I'd be recording my own shows. And, and, uh, and um, anyway, so I, as I grew up, I listened to radio very closely just for the announcers. And Casey Fox is one of them, um, who was always funny. Um, uh, Dick Reeves did the morning show at the time. He was funny. Ron Abel, who's no longer with us, um, uh, did the morning show. Uh, Lee Marshall on Middays. I remember a friend of mine, John Smith was his name. Uh, we used to hang out all the time in Winnipeg and every so often hop the bus and go to either Eaton's or the Bay just for the hell of it, just to wander around. So we're hopping on the bus. One day we go to the Bay and at another radio station, CKRC, there's this announcer. This is an on location thing. Back when remotes were something, you would bring a whole setup, your, your songs, your records, the whole mic. You'd have a little mini booth in the middle of a store and you look like, let me tell you something, for a guy that loved radio, that was my celebrity sighting. That was like, oh my God. <laughs> so this guy, this guy's name was John Keel had a voice that was just pure and deep, long hair, huge stash, you know, kind of a skinny little rock star looking guy. Yeah. And me and John are walking a little bit closer to him and he's just putting on a 45 and it's the who I can't explain. He's putting it on and he's singing along to it, but in his deep voice, it's get explained, get explained. And I'm thinking, you are so cool. And, <laughs> but we're just standing there staring at him. And I remember he looked at both of us and he said, where are you guys from? We both looked at each other and said, Winnipeg. He goes, yeah, no shit. What part? <laughs> even, even in his trash talk, he is so cool. I uh, want to be that guy. Johnny um, Fever. So those, yeah. So those guys, those guys are, uh, they meant a lot to me. And I, and I, my style uh, is, um, was a combination of ripping off a bunch of people. Everything from Johnny Carson to Dave Letterman to radio guys to stand up comedians. And I tried to take a piece of all of that and try and come up with something. And for years and years and years, when I listened back to those shows, it was just terrible. But you could hear somebody trying to find a spot, right? Trying to find. And then, you know, I guess it's because you get old and you get all philosophical or you, you start to give it a little bit of thought. And you realize that the voice you were looking for was always inside you. Mm. You just needed to let it out, right? And you didn't know how to let it out. And then eventually it does come out. You realize, holy shit. So this is what I was, <laughs> it took me this long to figure it out. Um, and once that happens, you're like, okay, uh, I think I just might've found the secret to uh, successful radio, <laughs> success in radio. And that's wait for that voice to come out no matter how long it takes. And then do you stop doubting yourself too at that point? No, not at all. I am still the greatest doubter in the world. I have, um, um, you know, through any number of, um, you know, reasons in growing up. I didn't have the greatest childhood and I, uh, I went through some pretty traumatic things and, um, and out of those traumatic things come, you know, the baggage. Um, mm -hmm. And the baggage for me has always been, I'll never be good enough. You know, it'll always be, it can be that much better. That was good. But yeah, you're really good at that. But, um, you know, and never take yourself too seriously to the point where, you know, I still have difficulty giving myself credit for stuff. And, um, uh, although I am very appreciative of everything that has been brought my way, I still have trouble letting it in, you know, and letting it mm. and letting and, and being able to say, you know, hey, good job. That was good. Good for you. Um, but it's also what keeps me going. And, um, you know, I guess there's one thing to say. If you say you'd never be good enough, you're always striving to find that good. So, um, I mean, it could go the other way. Right. Um, and in this way. I feel like I'm, you know, I'll always be striving for that something. Maybe I don't achieve it. Maybe I die without achieving it inside. But I know that along the way, I've touched a lot of people. And that's, you, you have, that's pretty you, you need to know that you need to know, like, 
how inspiring you are to so many and how much you've inspired me over the years. And I thank you for that. I thank oh, you that's for, so sweet of you. Thank you. For, for everything you've done with the show. And and you're you're just incredible. And I appreciate <laughs> you. Um, you know what? I'm gonna res- I'm gonna res- I'm, I'm gonna respond with a yeah, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah. But, yeah, yeah. But thank, I, 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 that is so sweet of me. That's so sweet of you to say. And thank you. I'm like, um, I I I love I love to talk and tell stories. And um, but I the thing that that gets me each and every time is reconnecting or or connecting with somebody that I've never met, and then at the end of the conversation have that. This has been fun, man. And now it's like, I know if I come out to Edmonton and I see you, we're having a coffee. Like, I mean, it's, you know, and it, and, that did, and that did not happen 24 hours ago. So, I mean, that's pretty freaking cool. So, yeah. you know, and I love the, I love the, I love T.O. hat, by the way. Nice touch. I caught this back in, I've only been to Toronto once and it's right. 2004. It was shortly after the SARS crisis. Right. Yeah. And, and so Roots made these hats to raise money at the time, I believe. I think that's right. what it was for. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I dug it out of the closet uh, <laughs> about a week ago and I started wearing it on here and I was like, yeah, show some, yeah. Show some pride again in, in your country. And- <laughs> that's a, I remember that, remember the Stones came out? We had the SARS concert, had the Stones and ACDC yeah. and the Guess Who? And it was like, yeah. And now SARS seems like, like sorry seems like the common cold compared to what we're going through right now like it's crazy we're in a science fiction movie right now like it's just bizarre yep and you say to yourself like is this real life i know i know and how about like i said today and then all of a sudden you have murder hornets right now everybody's (laughs) talking about giant hornets that can kill you and i'm like yeah okay whatever yeah 2020 it's only may and it's a dumpster fire so let's just keep throwing stuff in there what the hell (laughs) i know i'm like what's next month let's see what's gonna happen for sure i'm i believe with all of my heart and really maybe it's not so much belief it's more hope with all my heart that there's some awesome things coming because this has been a giant reset and i would like to think that out of this reset comes a maybe a different way of thinking different way of conducting yourself different way of respecting your fellow human beings you know um i i hope beyond hope because we all know that you know it's going to be a certain element of going back to the same but going back to the same is going to be a long slow process right now so i'd like to think that we're going to learn something out of this and be be just a little little more compassionate a little more um empathetic to people i really hope so yeah me too i'm going to wrap things up with just a couple silly questions for you sure Sure. Boxers are brief. <laughs> when you think, <laughs> when you, it's funny when you think of the nineties yeah, and you think about the, the fashion trends and the toys right. and stuff, well, it's one thing that pops in your mind. That was something that you loved. Uh, that I loved in the nineties. Yeah. Uh, so for me, the nineties in the sort of post, um, like the post nineties, the 96 to the two thousands was kind of a musical blur for me. Mm. Um, and it was sort of hard to, to, to really dig what you were listening to because there was so diff, there was so much different. I mean, you had Backstreet Boys and Spice Girls and NSYNC on one side, right? And mm-hmm. then you had uh, the the they're calling a minivan rock now. You know, the Third Eye Blinds and the Matchbox uh, Twenty, and Matchbox things. Twenty, yeah, yeah. You know, and you have them, and then over here you've got. I don't know. Well, you, well, you still have the Seattle sound to a certain degree, and you've got some serious metal. Um, so it was kind of hard to really, it was really a vomit of music there. And I mean, a lot of it was good. A lot of it was just seemingly manufactured, but it was interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, but as far as 
I'm trying to remember like a '90s style that I got behind. I um, um, you know, I did love the colorful jackets. And when we did um, the 500th show, I had a purple polyester thing that would just knock your socks off. And I remember wearing that on the show. And I see it uh, now because uh, I was sent a copy not that long ago. Uh, and I'm thinking, yeah, man, you were—you could tell you loved that jacket. So anything that had a lot of color to it, uh, and I love the untucked shirt. Um, aspect i mean the untucked shirt and the sleeves um pulled beyond the uh the sleeve of the sweater like the cuffs pulled beyond the sweater and just kind of yeah. hanging out i really <laughs> like that look uh and it's it a lazy it's a lazy person's look right so it's like you know, throw that. but as far as the toy uh nintendo the nintendo entertainment system i played um the legend of zelda the first legend of zelda that came out and I'm not a gamer now at all. I watch my boys play and I'm like, I cannot compete. There's just no, you guys are so good and I am so not. Um, but this NES system, the original NES system, I played Zelda and it was the only game I ever wrapped. And I can still, I was in Edmonton when I wrapped it. Hmm. And I, I had a 1-900 number that I could call that there were people who played the games that you could talk to. You'd be on hold forever but you could call and say, I'm playing The Legend of Zelda. I'm in level 11 and I can't beat the whatever the hell. What do I do? And, they, and I would never have figured it out without them because they said things like, yes, shoot the arrow, but you need to jump and shoot the arrow at the same time. Like who would know how to do that? And so you get oh. that advice, you'd wrap up the level and then go on to the next one. It was like, yeah. See, so, I didn't know that number existed. And I bet you my mom didn't want me to know because you said 1-900. One nine hundred. There's a cost to it, right? And you know, you know, they were talking slow, right? To try and keep you on as long as possible. What's that level again? Can you spell that for me? But uh, yeah, and I remember. So NES in the beginning of the '90s and Game Boy was like Game Boy was a go-to for me, um, and I'll remember that fondly for sure. Well, I'm going to ask you a question that I'm going to start asking a lot of my Canadian guests because okay, it's 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 silly. It's near and dear to my heart, though. Do you, okay. where do you think Chris Shepard is hiding? <laughs> like, uh, I, yes. Yeah, I think, you know what, in a situation much like mine right here, right now, somewhere under the steps, in a, <laughs> in a household, in a drywalled two by four room, that's where he is. Isn't that crazy? I'm trying to find the guy. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, is he still beat mixing? Like I, uh, who knows, man. I've done that an episode on him. I've done an episode on him because when I was a preteen, I had a song that I had recorded and I won a contest on Power 92. I got the song into a compilation and he was the one who remixed it with BKS. And so I wow. was just a kid and it was... Huh mind-blowing the fact that I got to meet him but not only got to meet him but he would like invite me to stuff when he was in Edmonton he'd be like hey girl, come on down come on down I'm teaching I'm teaching a seminar come on down or he'd ridiculously do, like, nice ridiculously yeah. nice yes I remember that yeah 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 like the rock and ride at West Edmonton Mall he'd be there and he'd be <laughs> like oh how you doing how's your mother doing come on down yeah, yeah 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 for sure for sure that's a great question I don't know let me know if you find him though <laughs> okay I will <laughs> You are amazing, and thank you for your time today. Oh, man. It was my pleasure. Thank you for uh, thinking of me. It's always, first of all, it's always nice to be thought of, and it's always nice to sit with somebody that's going to let you ramble on storytelling. <laughs> it's okay with me. Thanks so much. No, I really appreciated it, and it was an absolute joy. So um, I'll let you know when the episode's coming out. Please do.
And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll tag you in all the social media and everything. And Great. And I'll make sure I do it on my end too. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, Stu. Mad love. See ya. Right. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hi, folks. Dan Beard of the Georgia Satellites. And have you heard the news? There's good rocking tonight. You have managed to stay away from every possible trend and everything that seems to be fashionable in the music industry. How? What is the secret to keeping away from that stuff? We're just not hip. <laughs> <laughs> Stu Jeffries, an amazing interviewer and interviewee, and just had a great time with that. Uh, made me feel so good to chat with him. Thank you, Stu, for everything. I appreciate you being on the show. And I appreciate what you've done for Canadian broadcasting. So it was a pleasure. Next week on the show, we're going to welcome Chesney Hawks, the British teen superstar who had the massive hit, The One and Only. He spent some time talking to me from his home in, I think he's in California. Yeah. But uh, he's there now with his family. And we do some reminiscing about the highlights and such from his career. And what he's up to now. So you guys take care. You know, over the last couple of weeks, we have had a serious look at our yesterdays. One thing that's become obvious to me is our appeal is broadened. We now hear from you and your teens to you and your 50s. We hope to continue to hear from you and offer you our very best week after week. You've also watched me grow up on television, and I thank you for your patience. And also, as I travel across this country, it's been a pleasure meeting you face to face. Here's to another 10 years. And hey, have you heard the news? There's been good rocking tonight. Bye-bye. Hit up our Instagram, dope underscore nostalgia. You like Twitter better? That's cool. Nostalgia dope. Or shoot us an email, dope nostalgia podcast at gmail.com. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.